0: it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Walton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 2nd of July 2010. I always suggest newcomers look into CuttingThroughMatrix.com websites and bookmark all the other sites you'll see listed because I get problems with the .com once in a while. And this way you can always download the latest shows for free. There's hundreds of audio talks available for free. And remember, all those sites have a lot of transcripts of the talks I've given for print-up in English. But if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan sentinel.eu, uh sentinel.eu, and you'll find quite a selection to choose from. And while we're at it, look into the items I have for sale. That's what makes me tick over here, just tick- ticking and crawling over, actually, sometimes. It goes as slow as my computer. And... Uh, I need you to purchase the books I have for sale they're different from any other books you'll read it's not just the usual facts and figures and who did what and names and dates and histories it goes a bit deeper into techniques of chronology because that's the art of managing billions of people it's called chronology it's a very fine art, very old too and I show you some of the techniques which are used. And by reading these books, you'll you'll find that your mind is being deprogrammed, and you start thinking in a different way afterwards as well. When you see things which are all around you that you been unaware of or oblivious of the real meanings before, and you truly believe, uh, you truly do exist, I should say, in a in a society uh, that you've been conditioned to perceive in a in the set uh, regulated manner, the the proper manner of your conditioning. So purchase these books and the discs I have for sale, and hopefully that keeps me going. The ads you hear on this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN for the airtime for broadcasting for the staff and equipment and their bills. So you have to help me with mine. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can purchase the books and discs uh, via PayPal. If you want to donate or order, use PayPal. It's in a separate email with uh, your order name and address uh, for the purchase. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office from the States. And you can use a personal checks from, check from the States. That's the only country you can use a personal check to another country now this is the U.S. and Canada and vice versa. Outside the Americas, same idea. Uh, you've got uh, the choice of Western Union, um, this MoneyGram, PayPal for donation or to, to purchase. Uh, some people just send cash. And that's okay, too, at the moment. You see how long that goes on for. And, as I say, that helps me just check over. Uh, doing it this way gives me a freer hand to say things I want to say. And if I'm asked questions on the air about certain things, I have no fear of upsetting um, someone who's selling something. So you got to remember, too, that everything that works in our system, which isn't really ours, is based on commerce and money. And money rules everything And no one can exist in this system Without money Isn't that crazy really? We're living in a world where there are still people living In the wilds in some areas uh, Completely um, independent of the needs of Outside their own areas or communities Who make their own uh, little bit of clothing that they need Who make their own um, axes out of stone And it still works uh, They hunt and they fish and they work four hours a day. We call them primitive. And here's the billions of the rest of us trained into an economic system that's designed to support a hierarchy who live much better than we will ever live at the bottom. Very old art got us into this mess. Very old technique. And Bernays and others uh, explain some of it uh, to the general public in their published uh, books. Lots of the stuff, of course, the the main stuff, the nitty-gritty of the stuff is kept out of anything published for the general public. Now that's the music coming in, so I'll come back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt, and we're back cutting through the Matrix, just talking about uh, the mass manipulation and the techniques which are used on society to keep them under subjection relief for a small minority, relatively speaking, to rule them quite easily. Uh, and the people down below never catch on that's really what's happening to them. They think that the system they're born into and they grew up into is all quite natural. never occurred to them uh, that uh, just as they can find out today of all the big foundations and think tanks that are manipulating their thoughts today and the future for them and their children, then it happened for their own parents as well before you came along. The world at least designed that way. Those in power don't let things just happen. They don't wait to see what catastrophe will pop up out of the blue. They plan for every contingency of remaining in power for as long as they wish. In fact, that's where a lot of your money goes. It's not just continuity of government, it's continuity of a ruling group at the top, a minority. I've gone through quite a lot on Professor Carl Quigley and his two great books. The Anglo-American Establishment um, really goes into all the names and the peoples of a particular aristocratic class who went to a particular university in London or in England and who all were placed in the top positions within government, all placed, never elected in, but all placed in top positions, war cabinets, all trade and so on, to make sure the right policies were put through, regardless of what the politicians were saying to the general public. That's how things are really run. And they ran the whole of the 20th century with, with their cousins over an American side. And they're still running the show today. Just going to Chatham House. That's the headquarters for the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Going to their own website. And look what they allow you to see. That's a lot of stuff. And, but that's not the secret stuff, of course. That's what they allow for the public to, to go ooh and ah over. When you see how many projects worldwide... They're working on all to do with controlling and managing every factor for survival in the future, but primarily their own survival. And they have had talks, many, many talks and debates in the top think tanks about uh, how can we come through disasters, how many should come through into a new world, and can we all come through. They're talking about themselves, of course, and how many of the ordinary people would they need to... To bring through to serve them basically to do the work because if you start planting and all that kind of stuff all over again in other words breeding stock they've discussed even cloning uh, servants and slave workers all of that has been discussed at high levels of science and the banking institutions at the top of course that really run the systems for their own self-preservation and of course we're kept dumb and stupid at the bottom uh, just like Bertrand Russell said, um, previous governments went down, previous empires went down because they ran out of, of providing enough bread and circuses for the people. That's what we are kept alive on, is bread and circuses. The, the trash that's on television today uh, is zombified. It's just for the imbeciles. It truly is. It truly is. And that's how they can reduce the, the, the general population down to the state of imbecility. Because you've been born into it, and it's reinforced in you. And you all want to be the same as everybody else, so you all laugh at the same stuff. And it really is imbecilic, what we're, we're seeing on television today. It's, it truly is a circus. truly is a circus. Before I, I carry on with this, so let's mention that the next nail in the coffin to the Internet and so on, which many of you probably already know, uh, was from uh, Information Week, and that was on the 25th of June. Uh, they say that the White House is preparing a national online ID plan. A proposed system for authenticating people, organizations and infrastructure on the web at the transactional level will require a lot of other terminology, an identity ecosystem by Matthew Schwartz. This is that the Bama administration is set to propose a new system for authenticating people, organizations and infrastructure on the web. The online authentication and identity management system would be targeted at the transactional level, for example, when someone logs onto their banking website or completes an online e-commerce purchase. Making such a system effective, however, will require creating an identity ecosystem backed by, by extensive public-private cooperation, said the White House Cybersecurity Coordinator Howard Schmidt, delivering an opening keynote speech at the Sim, uh, Symantec. Government Symposium 2010 in Washington on Tuesday. He says this strategy can't exist in isolation, he said. It's going to take all of us working together. I love that stuff. We're all in it together, whether it's wars or whatever. Furthermore, we should not have to dramatically change the way we do business. This should be a natural path forward. So these are terms, these are meant, these are positive words, a path forward. We're always thinking we're going towards something, but most folk don't think past that nice word forward, you know. It's better than falling backwards, isn't it? The path forward will hinge on a new draft of the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace due to be released Friday for the first time to the public for a three-week comment period. Formerly known as the National Strategy for Secure Online Transactions, the report offers specific strategy and implementation recommendations and may also recommend more sweeping policy and privacy changes. The report builds on the Bama Commission Cyberspace Policy Review – which analyze the government's information and communications, infrastructure, defensive capabilities. Believe you me, it's for all of you. It's it's to watch all of you and give themselves even more power and ability to do it. And also to authorize people eventually. You're going to get licenses to be on the web. Basically, that's what it is. It means you're authorized and licensed to be on the web. Authorized by the government, that is. That's what it's all about. So I won't read any more of that. Again, getting back to uh, Bernays and so on, he talked about propaganda. Propaganda, he liked the word himself, and at one time, in fact, propaganda just meant uh, the opinions of groups, and then it got a bad name because it was used heavily, extensively in World War I to lie to the public, especially the American people, about what was happening over in Europe to get them into the war. So then they changed the name to public relations. Sounds better. And every government department, even your local government, your, your, your little, uh, local town council, in fact, is a PR spokesperson. The police have PR spokespeople, which means these are people who, who, who try never to tell you the exact truth. Their job is like a lawyer is to talk round things rather than directly at something or about something and fool you that propaganda is also used for indoctrination purposes. Now remember, Bernays was a guy who worked with many presidents in the U.S., quite a a lot in his long lifetime. He was a nephew of Freud. He was trained, as Freud was trained by predecessors, believe you me, Freud didn't pop out the blue. There was a political agenda and a social agenda involved in it. And it was the same with Bernays, who claimed he just he just caught on to the ideas by reading, leafing through his uncle's books, utter rubbish, because this science was already known uh, in previous centuries. But it's used to, to, to mold society into a, a more docile arrangement where rulers can rule them, the people more easily and have them all working together more easily, less grumbling, um, and then To reinforce that all this is normal, the status system, the class system, the need for big governments, everything is normal. Uh, Going to war is quite normal and you don't ask really why you believe the initial facile really uh, childish propaganda they always give you for going to war. We're never, never told the truth about war, until maybe 50 to 100 years later when they declassify information for the first time. And by then, a different population grown up and doesn't even care about it. That's reality. We live in a fiction. You know, even the founding fathers of of the U.S. talked about the wall. It wasn't a, a wall between church and state and all that nonsense stuff. Uh, They talk about Jefferson. Jefferson wrote that in a letter to a Baptist minister. It was nothing to do with the Constitution. He says that was his personal opinion. But the real war between government and the people, that's what it's really about. You're given a facade to believe in from the beginning. It's a facade. And you're given this political nonsense where parties yell at each other across the floor or the house and supposedly hammer out uh, details of things, uh, crisis, as they come and go, uh, which is utter nonsense. Quigley destroyed all of that in his own books, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment. He shows you uh, that the guys at the top, the leaders, that's all that matters is the leaders are chosen by the Council on Foreign Relations. They're completely on board with all the agenda of the Council on Foreign Relations, and it doesn't matter which party they allow in. And he said there's a little competition of vying for power with politicians lower down the totem pole. They're allowed a bit of real competition, but at the top level, um, they're all handpicked years in advance, in years before the public gets to even know their names. And I'm sure they probably had the last century there with each one marked down as, as to when they would get into power. You could probably tell FDR when he was a young lad, you know, you, you'll be in at this age. This is when you will put you in. And I'm not kidding about that. Because quickly said that. He says these guys have run America since the late 1800s. And they still do today. All the big famous players who really are power brokers and technocrats are all members of this one organization. He goes through the history of it, at least with his beginnings, with his new name of the Rhodes Foundation and the Milner Foundation, really one foundation as far as I'm concerned, which became the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the CFR. And they have so many think tanks on the go. They have so many of the guys placed across the world in every government, mainly in bureaucracies and appointed positions, that is unbelievable. And he called it the parallel government. That's the real world we live in. The music's coming in, and I'll try and get back to Bernays here and say something about him when I come back from this break. Diane Allen Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about how we're run in society, a society we take for granted because everybody else does. And because we're all fed the same news, information we're given, according to classes, the types of newspaper you're supposed to read. And even those who think they're in the upper middle class are still being fooled because they're never being told the complete truth about anything. That's why you have media barons and moguls, you again, you have to read Quigley's books to see who they were. They ran every newspaper in Britain for a good part of the 20th century. All members of the same institution. And he even tells you the techniques that they used for World War II, how they were told after having a meeting, a round table meeting, that uh, they'd have to terrify the British public into believing they were all going to get gassed from the air by Adolf Hitler. And so the government uh, issued gas masks, big production. Of course, these guys in the group also owned the manufacturing companies that made the gas masks, and they owned the media. And they even asked the king at the time to make uh, statements to their own newspapers, using their own reporters, all members of the same group, uh, telling people to start digging ditches in the street. Stuff would be absolutely useless in an aerial war. And... They did. They terrified millions of people. They got most of the children in London evacuated because of that. These were all side effects of the big lie, to get them into a war. And they have been behind wars. They've financed all sides of it because the higher members from the very beginning were international bankers based in London. Getting back to propaganda again, I'll try and get through this here. Here's what Bernays says about it. And remember, he's only giving the light stuff. He's not going to go into the nitty-gritty because it was an ancient art by his day. He says, propaganda like economics and sociology can never be an exact science for the reason that its subject matter like theirs deals with human beings. Well, that's not quite true, and he knew that at the time too. If you can influence the leaders, either with or without their conscious cooperation, you automatically influence the group which they sway. So it's true enough, why go after trying to convince thousands of people or followers when you can just get the leader of, a, of an organization and get to them? He said, but men do not need to uh, be actually gathered together in a public meeting or in a street riot to be subjected to the influences of mass psychology because man is by nature gregarious. He feels himself to be a member of a herd, even when he is alone in his room with the curtains drawn. His mind retains the patterns which have been stamped on it by the group influences. A man sits in his office deciding what stocks to buy. He imagines, no doubt, that he's planning his purchases according to his own judgment. In actual fact, his judgment is a melange of impressions stamped on his mind by outside influences which unconsciously control his thought. He buys a certain railroad stock because it was in the headlines yesterday and hence it is the one which comes most prominently into his mind because he's a pleasant recollection of a good dinner on one of his fast trains because it has a liberal labor policy that's, that's leveling, a reputation for honesty because he's been told that J.P. Morgan owns some of its shares. In other words, you have many factors which influence you that you're unaware of. It says, Trotter and Le Bon concluded that the group mind does not think in the strict sense of the word. In place of thoughts, it has impulses, habits, and emotions. Now, that's what the circus plays for you at the TV. Impulses, habits, and emotions. That's what it's all given you, even the most basest of what they call comedies. In making up its mind, its first impulse is usually to follow the example of a trusted leader. This is one of the most firmly established principles of mass psychology. It operates in establishing the rising or diminishing prestige of a summer resort in causing a a run on a bank or a panic on the stock exchange in creating a bestseller or a box office success. But when the example of the leader is not at hand and the herd must think for itself, it does so by means of clichés, pat words or images which stand for a whole group of ideas or experiences. Now that's He's talking about slogans almost, clichés and slogans. That's how Lenin said they would win and influence people by the use of clichés and mainly through slogans. And that's what they use today. A couple of words can drum up a picture in your mind of something very good or very bad. And that's used through all public relations associations and think tanks today, all the ones who do your marketing to you. So... Uh, this stuff, as I say, is, is so, so old, but when you go into other writers on the same topic who go into in a bit more depth, a bit more honesty with the general public, and you read books by Jack's Elul, for instance, like The Technological Society, uh, he goes into your education, for instance, what it's actually there for, not what you think you believe it's there for, or that your parents believe it's there for, But actually, what it really is there for is there to serve your masters. On page 347 of the Technological Society, it says here, The education of the child, however, is not directed towards some merely abstract social end. Concretely, the child must develop a social conscience, understand that the meaning of life is the good of humanity, and grasp the need for an entente amongst all nations. These ideas are much less vague than one might think. The good of humanity, for example, is not the obscure notion the philosophers pretend it to be. At most, it varies somewhat with the political regime. In other words, someone's deciding what's good for society, and it's not the public. You see, And that's how they indoctrinate you. And even this variability is becoming less and less pronounced. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Something cut us off again there. It's becoming a habit, isn't it? But reading about propaganda and how it's used for education purposes, this particular article... Is, uh, or pages from 347 of the Technological Society by Jax E. Lull, it ties in with Bernays' propaganda, about education and the real purposes of it. It first tells you what you think it is, really, is what he's doing. He said, at most it varies somewhat with the political regime, and even this variability is becoming less and less pronounced. He's talking about during the Cold War, too. Compare Life magazine with the Soviet news, and you will see that the good of humanity is conceived in almost identical terms in the United States and in the Soviet Union. The difference lies mainly in the persons charged with securing it. In both cases, the social good can be reduced to a few concrete and precise factors. The corresponding educational technique, as a consequence, takes a completely determinate determinate direction. Social conformism must be impressed upon the child. And that's really what it is. Social conformism must be impressed upon the child in whatever country. He must be adapted to his society. And it doesn't matter what kind of society it is, understand, or who's ruling it, and what kind of system it is. He must not impair its development. His integration into the body social must be assured with the least possible friction. This technique of alleged liber- liberation of the child cannot be uh, orientated differently, even if we're so desired. The technique permits the broadening of the child, the development of his social personality and happiness, and consequently of his equilibrium. Opposition to society, the lack of social adaptation, produces serious personality difficulties which lead to the loss of psychic equilibrium. One of the most important factors in the child's education, therefore, is social adaptation. That's all they get now at school, is the updated forms into the new norms of social adaptation. And they all parrot the same things and slogans and clichés. That's, that's what's authorized, you see. This means that despite all the pretentious talk about the aims of education, it's not the child in and for himself who is being educated, but the child in and for society. Now who decides what society that is going to be, that they're growing up in? It's not you. It's not the parents either. It says, and the society, moreover, is not an ideal one with full justice and truth, but society as it is, this is how it appears to be at the bottom. When a society becomes increasingly totalitarian, and I say society, not state, it creates more and more difficulties of adaptation and requires its citizens to be conformist in the same degree. Thus, this technique becomes all the more necessary. I have no doubt that it makes men better, balanced and happier. And listen to this now. That it makes men more balanced and happier the more totalitarian it becomes. And there is the danger. It makes men happy in a milieu which normally would have made them unhappy if they had not been worked on, molded, and formed for just that milieu. And what do you hear about guys today? You know, they're they're emasculated, totally emasculated. Uh, They have no idea why. They have no idea what's been done to society, most of them. They really don't. They don't know about the, the goals of the top think tanks, which are available if you go into the Rand Corporation, uh, who worked on on all of us for generations? This strange organisation, Rand, that literally every government runs to for for its surveys and think tanks on different uh, problems in society, or or how are the public now? How can we manipulate them into a next the next type of public that we want? Rand is listed as a as a non-profit organisation, but they can give millions of dollars to the top guys in income per year as a salary. Who are they really, eh? Well, it's parallel government, you see. That's what it really is. So there you go. When guys are, they, they try to make guys happy in a, in a milieu, surroundings and society, which would make them really unhappy if they had not been worked on, molded, and formed for just that milieu. What looks like the apex of humanism is in fact the pinnacle of human submission. Human submission. Children are educated to become precisely what society expects of them. And again, don't forget that it's not society that makes it that way, it's those that give you and control society. They must have social consciences that allow them to strive for the same ends as society sets for itself. Clearly, when modern youth are fully educated in the new psycho-pedagogic technique, many social and political difficulties will disappear. Any form of government or social transformation becomes possible with individuals who have experienced this never-ending process of adaptation. The key word of the new human technique is therefore adaptation, and we shall come upon it repeatedly as we consider each of these techniques separately. And... It ties in again with Darwinism too, who talked about uh, adaptation, saying we're the most adaptable species on the planet. Literally, your masters can create any kind of normalcy. Anything becomes normal, you see, that they say is normal. And as long as we all accept it at the same time, or, or sort of slowly meld into it at the same time, we'll all think it's quite normal. Even if they've turned it upside down with all of his beliefs and social norms. In a generation, we all are turned upside down at the same time. So it's all still normal, you see. It's a very, very simple uh, way to manipulate the minds of billions of people. And as we get transformed into the new eco-management system, and you're going to be eco-slaves, you see, to serve the world state, and that will be your purpose in a generation from now, you won't get born unless the masters say there's a place for you, exactly as George Bernard Shaw said. And he was one of the co-founders of the Fabian Society, another branch of the Council on Foreign Relations, because they we're all funded by the same masters like the Astor family and so on. A hundred years to get to their goal, and they're pretty well there. But mind you, they didn't start off either in the 1800s. These guys have been going to go for centuries under different names always pretending that you've got a, another government truly really running you. Well, in fact, they were the parallel government. They were making darn sure they'd never lose control of anything. That's the real society, world that you live in. The world, as I say, to be, is a world where you serve. The Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations, the Fabian Society, and all the other societies that are really branches, often specialized branches, all say the same thing, that everyone will be born with the privilege of serving the world state. Of course, that means that a lot of us have to die off in the process. They want it brought down drastically to a more manageable level because after all, you see, as I said before, if they have think tanks covering every aspect of society, just go into Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs on website. They've got think tanks working on the coming food shortages you're going to get. And they've had them up there for 15 years. They've been working on it with their top think tanks. They've got hundreds of think tanks on the go at the same time. This private, non-governmental organization that has placed their men in every government across the planet. They created the United Nations. They create all the policy for schooling across the world through UNESCO. And we think we're free, and we think we'll make a difference when you vote for the next goon that they place in front of you to vote for. Each one of these goons knows who their masters happen to be enabled they serve their masters, and it's not the general public. They mean business when they, when they say there's going to be coming food shortages and uh, that they want to bring the population down drastically, because after all... These elite have always talked about their own personal survival down through many centuries. And in the 50s and 60s, they were having think tanks about how will they manage to come through catastrophes themselves. Every possible scenario that could go wrong is worked through to the nth degree. Contingency plans for themselves to come through. That's why they have the underground bases that's, I've even put up video links where a guy goes around a lot of them in Britain. They've been taken off the maps since the 70s. They're still there. He, show, he goes up to the entrances of some of them. He tells you what's underneath the, the, one of them in London, where the Queen walks through. And they have, uh, they have bars and everything down there. Oh, by your tax money. Thatcher put an extra £100 million or £200 million into it to upgrade it when she was in Get them all over the place to make sure that the creme de la creme, themselves obviously, will come through any possible unforeseen circumstance that might smite the rest of us. Or something that they will release on the rest of us and they want to make sure they escape the wrath themselves. That's all part of it. But we're truly brought up in our scientific socialism. A scientific indoctrination as Lord Bertrand Russell called it. He said it couldn't fail. And really he's quite right. There's very few can come through this with an intact brain. Very, very few people can come through this with an intact brain. The first priority of making people dependent on a leader is to cause problems. The leader steps forward and says he'll solve the problems. And then he's got respect. But once you're in a system where literally we're dependent upon the very system itself, for our sustenance, for grocery stores, for instance, for all the things we should be able to get for ourselves, and we can't, like grow your own food, have your own animals, or go hunting, then you're in a dire strait. Someone's ruling you. Someone is ruling you. You're in an artificial system. And yet everyone else will think it's perfectly normal. Just today I was going through some more of the RAND reports on population studies they'd done for immigration for the European Union, and they had the American comparison as well, all tucked in there nicely. And they also used the old Soviet Union. The, the statistics going back for a for 100 years, fascinating stuff, on how they were, they're using a lot of the, the Soviet techniques in the West now, See, the Soviets didn't try to uh, use a, uh, the, the women's lib movement and fund, and literally fund through their again parallel government foundations, uh, fund it into existence to promote women get into the workforce. They simply brought them in; they, they ordered them into the workforce, and they gave them abortions right away. It was more important they were working, especially during World War II years in, in the factories, than having children. And they reversed the plans in some of the Soviet outer fringes countries. They reversed that when they realized that they were falling below below a sustainable level for population. And so they screened women every week to see if they were pregnant at work. If they found them pregnant, they were sent home with full pay and all the rest of it to make sure that baby was born and and brought up healthily. Literally from one system mandatory to the other system mandatory. And and the studies that have been done, that Rand uses by all these professors that have churned books out, constantly churning books out, dry, boring people, but very, very important stuff. They're doing the study for the European Union right down to how many immigrants they they need every year just in females to keep the levels up in Europe. And and it's, it's, it's almost half a million in women alone, young women, that is. Alone. And if it drops below that, they say that, that it's still unsustainable. Because all the people who were sort of native to those countries were awfully good. They did what they were told. They did what Charles Galton Darwin wanted them to do. They, were, they went after um, uh, the, the, the material life uh, and for God, for, for having a family. They were all good following exactly what was promoted to them for thirty, forty, fifty 50 years. But they needed the new immigrants coming in to breed more children, to pay off the debts in 70 to 100 years' time. They're way, way ahead of all of this stuff with exact figures and all the rest of it. And, and they go through the reasons for it too and the different age groups they bring into the different countries and how they have to alter the, the host countries completely from their cultural uh, setup and their belief systems and so on to accommodate the new ones they've decided to bring in because they do decide to bring them from certain countries. It's not just um, any, it's from all countries. No, they select certain countries to bring them in from. Where do you get this on the general media? You don't. Where do you find it? You find it in their own think tank studies, which they publish. Not all of them remember, because as I say, they've done studies on the worst case scenarios and how will the elite survive and all that kind of stuff. They do these all the time. But the stuff they do, they make available to the public. There's nothing mentioned on the circus of television. As you're all watching Jerry Springer and the most base people screaming at each other. Uh, uh, That's what they give you, the circuses they keep us base and ignorant of what's really going on. The same thing goes for warfare. People don't realize that there were, they had plans to invade Afghanistan before 9-11 happened. And they even said to get all this agenda through, these wars from the Project for New American Century, they need something on the scale of a Pearl Harbor event. And bingo, you have the towers, 2001 Kicks off the century of change, and the armies were all ready to go in from the borders of Afghanistan. And then they did a study in Canada to see how, once they got into Iraq, how within a few months they convinced the American public: no, uh, it really wasn't Osama bin Laden who was behind the, the towers after all; it was it was it was um, Saddam Hussein. And the study actually said and print national papers here in Canada. That's how quickly the media, with repetition, could convince the public from switching their sights on one target to the other, but still think that was a target. Double think. The power of propaganda and technique is astounding. Truly astounding. We mimic what we see on television. Youngsters mimic what they see on television you got the fashion industry, as Plato said, fashion and culture industry and music industry working together. And Plato, actually, in one translation, calls it the fashion industry. Where these mandatory plays you had to watch, you had to turn up to watch these plays, by law, the government in ancient Greece, in Athens. Uh, and because that would upgrade the peasant variety at the bottom to copy what they saw, and behave in the way that they saw that the characters on stage behaving and dressed the way they were dressed, and start whistling the the tunes they heard as well. Culture creation is an ancient technique, and propaganda is used all the time, from most ancient times down to the present. Propaganda gives you your beliefs in everything, whether it's any kind of religion, from the fact that you're a slave in Egypt, and you will not run off because the all-seeing eye is everywhere, and that kept you where you were. You, You wouldn't dare run off. Repetition, repetition. Very impressively done by high priests with their ceremonies and so on. And you've got thousands of folk who won't run off. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. and we're cutting through the matrix, just getting off the usual topics since it's a Friday and uh, getting more important, you see all the trivial stuff comes and goes and we go, ah no, we're angry and you forget all about it and something else happens tomorrow you're angry about. And you're fed this stuff continuously by the media to keep you in a hyper state, but they never give you any ways to counter it or overcome it. Or even bypass it altogether. You see, we're we're meant to be in a constant state of anxiety. It's easier to manage us by professionals. Then Uh, this article, this page, is from uh, The Impact of Science on Society by Lord Bertrand Russell, a high player who helped design a good part of the 20th century and into this century. We're still going through a lot of his stuff right now. And and what he advised the top think tanks to do. And he worked also with the big, um, the Macy group and all the other groups that helped bring a computer, the computer language, and he understood language perfectly and how the brain functions into what they now call neuroscience. Now on the page 61, uh, it says scientific technique in an oligarchy. That's what we live under is an oligarchy. He said, it is expected that advances in physiology, that's how your body chemistry and biology works, you see, and psychology will give governments much more control over the individual mentality than they now have even in totalitarian countries. Fichte laid it down that education should aim at destroying free will, so that after pupils have left school, they shall be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. But in his day, this was an unattainable ideal. What he regarded as the best system in existence produced Karl Marx. In future, such failures are not likely to occur where there is dictatorship. Because diet, that's your diet, your food, folks. It's all in the hands of uh, uh, five companies that are all really one company for the entire planet. Uh, And you know who they are. And you know they're all GMO foods that are feeding you. The garbage is killing you off and they they also own the factories that produce the pesticides and chemicals that, that these plants soak up. Diet injections and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable, and any serious criticism of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. Even if all are miserable, all will believe themselves happy, because the government will tell them that they are so. So you understand this is scraping the surface because it's just a one-hour radio show, and you can't go into long talks or lectures on things, but you have to start reconsidering what our reality is, who gives it to us. As I read from the first book uh, there, um, men really have been made to be, happy in in situations in a milieu where they shouldn't be really unhappy, because this is all about depowerment. Because the only enemy an oligarchy ever had were the males, who would stand up against them and fight them, because deep down within their nature they know what is instinctively right and what's wrong. Try doing that with a a, a guy in Borneo who's still living in the jungle. Try and go out and measure his house so he can get taxed, and he'll eat the guy that comes with the measuring tape. No kidding. He doesn't stand in debate. He knows it's crazy. And you don't start negotiating with what seems to be crazy. We've been taught that we must negotiate and believe craziness. And we have this massive, burgeoning, multi-layered bureaucracy and thousands and millions of their families to keep in the lives of royalty. That's the state they live in today. From Hamish and from Ontario, Canada, it's night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.